Welcome to this episode of We the Voters. As always, we work to lift up the issues and concerns that matter most to all voters, including you. If you would like to hear us discuss an issue that is near and dear to your heart, please visit our website at pointcast.news and let us know in the comment section. On today's episode, we're talking with retiring homicide detective Leonard Nelson about how he became a police officer, then detective, what has changed over the years, and how he sees the future of policing. Detective Nelson, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Appreciate you sharing your time. Now, I want to start by asking you about your your childhood. Were you one of those kids who pretended to be a police police officer? Was this like a childhood dream? How did you get here? No, definitely <laughs> was not a childhood dream. Um, I kind of backed into law enforcement, so to speak. Okay. Um, my childhood aspirations were totally different than what, um, how things played out. So. Really? What did you want to be? What did you want to do? Um, I wanted to make movies. I wanted to be a movie producer. I wanted to get into some aspect of uh, show business. Wow. Um, and then I kind of settled on writing and um, that kind of, I guess, buoyed my way educational wise is uh, my majors in communications. So that kind of covered a broad aspect of um, uh, the industry, so to speak, everything from writing to telecommunications, right. to writing for radio and TV, things of that nature. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so what exactly put you in a space where you said, this is what I'm going to spend most of my adult life doing? How did you get here? Um, like when I first said, like I kind of backed into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, my minor in, in college was criminal justice. So I've always had uh-huh. that interest. And um, it was kind of like always on the back burner. Mm-hmm. And um, it, I kind of buoyed when some friends of mine became police officers. Mm-hmm. So after having discussions with them and hanging around with them um, and being exposed to certain aspects of uh, the profession, um, I was like, well, I think this might be something that um, I, I can do. Um, it's not like a, a superhero where I have an origin story. <laughs> there was that lightning bolt that happened. No like, lightning, oh, no oh, spiders, oh, no. nothing no, like that. No, no, no nothing, nothing like that. that. Although I did have an incident where I did have contact with uh, law enforcement, and I told myself, um, you know, I could do that better. And mm-hmm. um, I really, to be part of, yeah, I wanted to be part of a solution rather than part of any problems, and that kind of motivated me a little bit too. It's like, okay, I can do this. And I, it sounds kind of cliche, but I did feel like I make a difference. What was it about that exchange that made you feel that you could do things better? Um, there was some racial overtones to it, uh, but then um, it was like, okay, it wasn't just like the usual, okay, white folks treating black folks bad. It wasn't to that aspect. It was mm-hmm. um, kind of noticing that there was a certain way uh, things were handled in this particular arena there was another way that this was handled in this particular arena and um, I felt that um, maybe in my own little interactions and and making my way about that I can kind of bridge the gap so to speak so it kind of worked for everybody I got you okay now how long were you a, a police officer before you became a homicide detective and what has that been like <laughs> well um I was on the department for about 15 years, mm. uh, roughly. 
Um, now, I've worked at various aspects. My law enforcement career is like a little bit of everything. We started out on patrol where we uh, take regular runs and how some people call it the real police. You know, somebody dials 911, we show up, right. handle the problem, rinse and repeat for, you know, the shift. But um, then I participate in other aspects of investigations, um, covert investigations, and then uh, major crimes. And um, I also did like a little stint in PAL, kind of coaching kids and everything. But um, so I, I think I had a slice of just about every piece of the pie as to what the career or field could, could offer. Okay. And was there a particular incident that led you into homicide in particular, or was this something that you knew you were going to try for? I, it was something I knew that I was going to try for. Okay. Um, it, it, again, it was not being at one particular place at uh, one time. Um, I always saw, okay, I went here, it drew my interest. Okay, that looked pretty interesting. I went over there, worked there, and then, okay, let me try this, let me try that. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically, so far as major crimes, uh, in any law enforcement uh, career, I mean, homicide is the top of the food chain, so to speak. It's it's uh, the pinnacle, the, the most serious, uh, the most important uh, investigations that anybody can conduct. Mm -hmm. And um, I felt that, okay, I wanted to, you know, try my hand at that. So. Okay. Okay. Now, how does your family feel, or how did they feel when you came home and said that this was what you were going to do? Well, they were very nervous when um, I joined the police department, mm -hmm. and when I was in uniform and doing the everyday stuff, the rinse and repeat stuff, mm -hmm. um, they were worried, and uh, I made a point to try and uh, keep them informed of what was going on, let them know what was going on with me, mm -hmm. um, because that's that's a real big part of. Um, any officers, um, I guess, um, well-being, uh, mental-wise as well, uh, is to make sure that you know you you know have that time and home establishment away from the job, mm -hmm, so the job mm -hmm. doesn't really consume you. Right, right, um, right. But um, well, my parents were oh, they were nervous uh, every time um, you know a major incident was on the news, breaking news. You know, my mom I always made sure I gave her a call. No, I wasn't involved in that. Or if right. I was involved, I'm, I'm okay. Right, right. Now, I want to switch gears here for a moment, and I want to discuss the recent proposal set forth by the mayor of Indianapolis, if you don't mind. Mm -hmm. um, Indianapolis Mayor Joe Hogsett recently presented a $3.3 million proposal intended to reduce the surge in violent gun crime, which I'm, I'm sure you've seen a lot of. Now, this proposal will cover like technology improvements in the police department and, and also some com community-based programs. Uh, now, I just want to put this in perspective. The, the crime rate is so bad now, it's about 11 homicides per 100,000 residents. And to make that even clearer for us, it's now higher than Chicago, which- Per capita. Uh, mm -hmm. Per capita, right, right. So. Now, the mayor also recently made a statement regarding this investment and the high crime rate. Now, these are his words. They, violent crime, are rooted in two major lessons that we have learned from a tumultuous last year. One, the city and our overall system of criminal justice has still far to go to earn the trust of every Indianapolis resident. Two, the pandemic led to heightened stress and often deep and profound loss. That all accompanied one of the largest spikes 
and deadly violence in our city's history. Uh, Detective Nelson, do you agree with the mayor's statement? Some aspects, yes, and some aspects, no. What don't you agree with? Well, I don't agree that it was all due to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. um, there was um, a spike in rise in numbers prior to the pandemic. Mm -hmm. uh, so it wasn't like uh, this is something that's spawning from the pandemic. Now, it's a political point, so to speak, to touch on that. Mm -hmm. And although it did have an effect, I'm not saying that it didn't, mm -hmm. but um, the emphasis, to emphasize it, it's not necessarily a major factor. Crime was on the rise prior to. It was on the rise prior. Do you think that the new proposal will have any impact on the rate of violent crime? No. No. Well, there's there's too many. Um, and by violent crime, he really focused. Let me be clear. He focused really more on gun violence, right? Right. Which is, I think, a misnomer. It's not necessarily gun violence per se, and mm -hmm. that's where it becomes highly politicized. Mm -hmm. um, you know, of course, some of it's committed by guns, mm -hmm. and I'm not, you know, trying to make a stand on you know pro guns or not anything like that. But I will say that I mean it's violence, period. Mm -hmm. And um, our FOP president uh, made a, a very interesting rebuttal. Rick Snyder, uh, and, yes, mm -hmm. yes, and. Um, I agree uh, with a lot of what he had to say about that. And that's mm -hmm. his response to that was extremely realistic mm -hmm. um, because, you know, to say it, it, gun violence, mm -hmm. that's just like a touching point. Right, right, right. It, it, it's violence, you know, it's. Well, Officer Snyder did bring up those points, but he also brought up the fact that the crime rate, like you said, has been growing all this time and that he saw more of a decrease in the last administration. Do you just think that the approach that Mayor Hogsett's office has had has not really, in fact, had an impact, or is it something altogether different that we haven't really touched on yet? Something that we haven't really touched on yet, um, mm -hmm. because to say one administration, oh, they, you know, solve the crime or they suppressed it or they did better, had better numbers, so to speak. That's all, uh, it's all in the wash. Because hasn't the crime rate really been going up, you know, exponentially over the last several years? I mean, this is not a new new thing for Indianapolis over the last at least 10 years, right? No, but the pendulum usually swings. I mean, there's a swing or there's an uptake and then it mm -hmm. kind of, you know, borderlines, and then it goes back up again, and then it comes back, you know, it kind of ebbs and flows. Okay, and so what would be responsible for this new upswing, in your opinion, since you're out there? Um, it's, it's multifaceted. Um, part of it um, has to do with other things outside of police and politics. There's a lot of socioeconomic factors that weigh in that um, although we have to wear some of those hats some of the time, but we're in no way in control of all of those factors. And mm -hmm. all of that plays a part into it. And, um, you know, if I could write out a program or, or algorithm to mm -hmm. address everything, you know, I'd be a very rich person probably because I'd sell it and, you know, make a lot of money with it. But, right. um, but a lot of people have different approaches towards it. And 
Um, if we're not on the same page with it, I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're going to have those ebb and flows because right. one political party is going to say, oh, I can do it better, or they're going to disagree on how to spend money. Mm -hmm. and other people kind of weigh in on it. And meanwhile, you know, the crime is going up. Well, at the last situation where you were called in or had to be on the scene, was it gun violence? Was it was it the socioeconomic issue that you brought up? It was it what was it that caused those deaths or that death in your opinion? A little bit of of, of every thing that we, we talked about um, or that we touched on, socioeconomics. Um, and you know, when you what say the last incident I showed up was the last investigation I investigated mm -hmm. as the lead investigator, it didn't have anything to do with a gun, but it was still, you know, kind of high profile. Mm -hmm. So, um, and that's why I, I put the emphasis on it being violence rather than just saying gun violence. You think it's a mistake uh, to just focus our attention on gun violence rather well, than just... Not a mistake, but it, it becomes politicized. I mean, if you're doing the bean counting and you go, okay, how many that occurred there with guns? I mean, that's one thing. But to say that it's more so of a problem than stabbings or anything like that, mm -hmm. that's a misnomer. Right, right. Uh, because, right. you know, the bodies stack up either way, whether it's a gun or a blade or fists or a car or anything. So, um, but, but, but that's what a lot of the politicians do. They highlight on their agenda on what's good for them and try and hammer home their point. And that's not serving everyone well at all. So you made a comment that if you had the answers, you'd be a rich man, but you are out there. And I do think that you would have an opinion that has some weight. So from your perspective, it, and you can even look at the last homicide where you were lead, what should be done to uh, help officers who are out there in the field address or maybe even help prevent some of these crimes? Well, um, I'm not exactly sure if I have the magic formula to prevent. Um, there's a, a two schools of thought on, on approaching crime, um, reactive and proactive, really. Mm -hmm. Proactive is what, as you pose the question, what can we do to prevent crime from happening or violent crime from happening? Mm -hmm. um, and, and that's one aspect. Others is reactive where, okay, the crime didn't happen already, we have to make sure that whoever did it is held accountable. Right. And that's not always up to the police department mm -hmm. or the prosecutor's office kind of weighing on that. And I would say the number one thing that we could do is develop a better relationship, uh, partnership with the prosecutor's office. Um, and we, you know, prosecutor's offices, you know, they have their own set of rules and guidelines and, we have our mandate as well, and sometimes they have a hard time you know, coming together. So we should do everything in our power to strengthen that relationship and, and work together so we can kind of apply our trade towards um, the reactive part of it, um, which is what the investigations and things like that is, is a part of. Uh, proactive, you know, people come up with programs all the time. People come up with um, their particular 
um, eureka moment as okay we should do this and this will work mm-hmm. until other factors come in like okay how much is it going to cost um, who's going to be in charge of it who gets the credit who gets the blame who has the responsibility who has the accountability all of those um kind of play into that so far as the proactive part so addressing all of those issues is what i would like us to do and that would help us maybe improve things okay okay um i want to talk about house bill 1369 a little bit uh house bill uh house bill 1369 was recently passed by the house uh, it's 6531 vote, and now it's on its way to the Senate where it's already picked up some endorsements. Now, this bill, if people are not aware, will eliminate the requirement to obtain a license to carry a handgun in the state of Indiana. Uh, now, the, this is really two-pronged. One part is licensing guns, but the other part is that the license uh, fees that are raised, $5.3 million per year, are used to train law enforcement officers. So that creates a new issue where now the tab may have to be picked up by taxpayers. Now opponents worry the bill will make police officers and the general public less safe. What do you say, Detective Nelson? Um, I wouldn't necessarily say it would make us less safe per se. Um, I, I would be against it though. Um, on the grounds that it takes away like a valuable resource uh, so far as information from law enforcement. Um, again, that's where the, the politics, you know, collide with the, you know, philosophy and what exactly um, is being done with the money uh, that's being allocated because not all of that money goes towards training law enforcement. Some does and some doesn't. And that has to be made up in some deficit somehow. Mm-hmm. But really that money goes somewhere to whoever is allocating it. No. And the next person who's, you know, counting the beans or, or making the budget could put that somewhere else, rob Peter to pay Paul. Right. Now, advocates for the bill say that law-abiding citizens should not have to pay for a right guaranteed to them by the Constitution. And one of the legislators, I believe Bill Smaltz from Auburn, gave a statement on why the passing of this bill makes sense to, to lend to your uh, opinion on, on politics. These are his words. This bill is for the lawful citizen in the state of Indiana. This bill is for the person who obeys our laws, who right now has to jump over the hurdles to be the person that gets the permit. Uh, does that alter your opinion at all? No. no, it just shows more that it's more uh, politicized, uh, political agenda. Um, I'm neither, I don't necessarily have an opinion one way or the other. Um, about a pro-gun or not, but most of the pro-gun people have that narrative saying that, okay, well, we're law-abiding and it's the criminals that are the ones that are doing it anyway, so why make it illegal? Um, I don't think they're looking quite at the big picture of how hard that it is on law enforcement Mm -hmm. uh, to do the uh, reactive um, as well as you never know what the effects on the proactive end as well would be. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, I think that that's an example of how it's completely politicized. Okay. I mean, back when I guess the forefathers, you know, put together the Constitution and everything, I and, and this is up to interpretation. There's a school of thought out there that says that it was 
only in the event of militia that were going to bear arms. And right. that was in the vein of that. And then the most recent narrative in the past 20 years that, that kind of has grown up as people looked at it from a different angle and said, no, this is what they meant. This is mm -hmm. what they meant. Well, I don't think that they were able to um, foresee all the changes that, or improvements in technology or uh, look that far into their crystal ball ahead to, to make laws applicable to today. Mm -hmm. I think it's our interpretation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we can look at it through a different lens and 10 years from now, we may look at it again and say we were wrong. It really meant to raise a militia, not necessarily every citizen bear arms like the wild, wild west. Right, right. Well, well, if this bill does become law, do you really believe that it will have a real impact on the number of guns already on the street? Um, yes. You do? Yes. Um, because it, it, it's already um, an, uh, an avenue for guns to make it to the streets as it is, legal and illegal. Mm -hmm. And more guns uh, gets more opportunities for, for something to happen, whereas less guns, less opportunities to happen. Um, but I don't think that, you know, you know, people should be penalized, so to speak, nor, nor would I think they would be. I mean, responsible gun owners are, you know, just that, responsible. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Would this, would you imagine that this would have to change the protocol for even just simple police stops uh, if this became law? Um, it already has in my lifetime. Um, when I first came on, a man with a gun run, when we got dispatched to that particular call, um, was handled very different than it is now. Um, and there's certain aspects of open carry and things that come into play. And Indiana does things different than, say, Illinois, Ohio. So um, how Ohio would interpret the Constitution or how in Illinois uh, interprets the Constitution could be totally different than what Indiana does. But it's already happened how a person with a gun, you know, just that run has changed. Um, and not necessarily just from the time, just by location as well. Um, right, but people haven't always had to have licenses to carry guns. So some people are saying this is just a back a return to normal. Well, and, and normalizing gun ownership as opposed to penalizing gun ownership. Well, there was a, maybe not a license per se, but there was always some type of regulation some type of regulation or some type of uh, law that addressed it. Mm -hmm. So I know in my lifetime, you always had to have, have a permit. So being in a time where you didn't have to have some type of accountability, uh, that was another lifetime ago. So mm -hmm. I, I don't think that argument uh, would hold water. This is what we're used to. This is the hand we've been dealt during my lifetime. Um, and, and not all um, states treat it the same. Like Indiana doesn't have a handgun registry, for instance. Right. Um, and, you know, Illinois, you know, does, I think, uh, or I'm pretty sure not Illinois, Ohio does, where it's treated totally different through state law. Mm -hmm. So there's got to be a way to, you know, address it. But uh, whether it has an immediate uh, effect on whether there's more guns on the street or whether people are more or less safe. That won't be determined within like a few years. That's probably a big picture that you gotta probably raise that time frame to about maybe 
20 to 30 years to see if that will actually have an effect. Well, before we go today, I want to address uh, this point that the Fraternal Order of Police President Rick Snyder brought up as a crisis of confidence among law enforcement uh, with uh, some of the things he calls as politicizing the issues of, for instance, what we talked about today with gun violence and also feeling unsupported uh, by uh, legislators as you all try to do your jobs in the street. What, if anything, do those words, crisis of confidence, mean to you? Do you feel that way? Um, I agree with him in a, in a lot of aspects. And as I was saying before, it's become too politicized. And what a lot of people don't realize, you know, whether it's Democrat or Republicans, law enforcement has to play with whoever, whoever's in office, whoever is in charge, whichever philosophy goes, law enforcement still has to be there. The, the game is still the, the game for us. Mm-hmm. But when they come in and make drastic changes to their particular philosophy it, it it can be disheartening especially when we ask for a seat at the table and we're often not allowed a seat nor are we heard um uh, i can't speak 100 percent for uh snyder but um i do agree with, with uh, and, and understand you know what, what he's talking about i mean mm-hmm. you know we've you know tried to you know, sound the alarm for a long time. But hey, this needs to be handled. This needs to be addressed. And, you know, no, no, nobody's really listening to us. It's like we're always on the back burner. Do you think that there's any responsibility on the side of police officers for this, the way that the relationship or the tensions exist now between uh, those who are legislating and those who are policing? Um, responsibility, responsibility for for some of the the feelings that um, for just to broaden the the discussion a little bit about what officer snyder was talking about uh, the confidence not feeling supported or backed and it, it really led to a larger discussion of even people talking are still talking about defunding police measures and what that means like splitting some of the funds between community and policing such as what mayor hawk said has done um, and not feeling that the voices are valued because of some of the police violence that has taken place against citizens, which has caused deaths. Um, and that, that is what I mean. Do you think that there's some responsibility to, to be had on the, on the uh, side of police officers? Uh, absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. I don't like Monday morning quarterbacking individual situations unless I've been a part of that situation. I can speak on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but individual cases, yeah, there's some things we could have done different. But also, there's a responsibility on the public as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's 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 both sides. I mean, we we used to call ourselves and have it on our cars even community partner relationship. Mm-hmm. And when it comes to finger pointing, it's like, okay, well, the police is bad, bad, bad. You know, um, yeah. Through recent um, months, there's been a call about you know defunding and things like that. Defund the police. Defund the police. Well, I I don't agree with that at all. Well, first of all, what does that mean? When you hear those words, what does that mean to you? Well, it means in in exact English to me, defund the police. That means taking away funds from resources from the police. Now, if you're talking about, well, what they're really saying is allocating this for other services, we'll say that then. But they're just saying specifically defund the police. Mm -hmm. So, okay, you defund the police, then there's going to be a drastic um, difference in, in the level of uh, violence, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. in my opinion, from what I've seen. Mm-hmm. I mean, if they say, well, what we really mean is this, this what it means, then say that in English. 
When you say defund, I know what defund means. You know, mm-hmm. and when you say defund the police, that's clear. And a lot of people are not clear on what they mean by that. You ask ten people that question, you'll probably get ten different answers. I agree with you there. There are people who seem to have different ideas of what that means. So mm-hmm. before I had you really dive into that, I wanted you to explain what it meant to you. Um, and and all of these things are, I believe, are in the summation or sum total of what. Uh, Officer Snyder was was talking about, and you were saying you agree with that. Um, Are there any thoughts that you would want to share with the community? Because I talked about policing having a side to this. Let's talk about the community side very quickly. What can the community do to help to uh, improve relations between police? Um, Dialogue. Dialogue and input. Um, You know, talk with us and work with us rather than um, at first be so judgmental until you actually see, like one, when all the facts happen uh, to come out of any particular incident. Um, most of the time you see a, a headline or a blurb in the media, okay, well, you know, something, the police did something again, and without knowing any of the specifics, you know, we're already thrown under the bus. And that's really not the case. Um, kind of keep in mind that uh, police officers are people and human too. Um, they're not perfect. And absolutely, if they are wrong, they should be held accountable. And that's our expectation is to hold ourselves accountable as well. And, but so far as that trust, until we dialogue more, um, come to the tables, see what each other's mindset is, what each other, what each side is doing, um, they understand we, we're, we're in this together. Like I said, we used to have that community police partnership, and that's exactly what it is, a partnership. It's on some of our cars still, but right, the, right. the meaning has kind of gone away. Mm-hmm. Because, um, you know, when, we're, when it, it's usually against someone's agenda, okay, then they're the enemy. They're mm-hmm. you know, not on the same side, but no. We, you know, we just have different perspectives, and we, we as the police have a certain set of rules uh, to work with here. It's not like we can... Um, do things the way we feel or, or, or on emotion. We have like a set of rules applied, and it's you know, the law. And right, right. It's it's you know, kind of cut and dry, really, in a lot of cases. Right. Understood. Understood. Well, you know what? We're gonna have to let that be the last word on this for now, and I'm I'm sure there's so much that we could cover on this, but for now, I just want to recognize and thank you again, Detective Nelson, for your contribution to this topic. I know you've lived it, you've done it, and now you're sharing with us. So I appreciate that. Now, for for those of you who want to join in the discussion further, reach out to us on our website at pointcast.news for future podcasts. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Elyag Productions and Greater Domain Real Estate Group for serious real estate investors and those seeking to build their real estate dream. We'd also like to thank you, our listeners, for your continued support and encourage you to keep this conversation going. That's it, good people. Have a good one and be sure to join us next time.